Good morning, everyone. It's, it's great to be with you. Kids, you can now go and do your... Who are you going to call? Uh, Josh, I must confess that when I heard that, my first answer was Ghostbusters. Uh, but not quite what you had in mind. Uh, thumbs up from our virtual audience there, who last time I checked were talking about Twixes. So, <laughs> caught out. <laughs> anyway, uh, as many of you will know, before we came to Bessels Green, uh, my family lived in London. Uh, and one of the things I loved about living in London was, was how multicultural it was. This, uh, well, in our, kids, in our kids' junior school, there were somewhere between 30 and 40 different first languages spoken, reflecting that its, its children had families that came from, from all over the world. And it was this, this wonderful hodgepodge of cultures, of ethnic groups, of religious tradition, traditions, all finding themselves in this, in this one area. Uh, and for the kids, all learning to, to grow together and to learn together. And I'll, I'll always be grateful that, that my children were lucky enough to grow up in that, in that sort of environment. I remember one day reading from, from Revelation chapter 7. Uh, John is having this vision of, of heaven and this great multitude worshipping God. And he, he says that this great multitude came from every nation from all tribes, from all peoples, and from all languages, all caught up in, in worship in some kind of multicultural, multinational celebration. And it suddenly struck me that my daily experience gave me a kind of a glimpse into, into what that was like every day at the school gate with this mass of different people. It was, it, it, it was great. And our reading this morning is set in, in Antioch sometime around AD 46, uh, about 15 years after, after Jesus had, uh, was crucified. Uh, and in many ways, Antioch was probably a kind of first century equivalent to London. A thriving city, it was home to about a quarter of a million people from all over the known world. It was an ancient trade hub and one of the economic powerhouses of the ancient Near, Near East. And I can imagine walking down the, the crowded streets, visiting the market, selling local produce uh, amongst, alongside other exotic fruits and, and, and other foods. Uh, for those of you who, who are aware or familiar with Borough Market, uh, maybe, maybe a bit like that, uh, with this, just this variety of, of different foods. All around you, there'd be traders, travelers, Foreigners with strange clothes on, donkeys needing food and water, and on every corner a temple to the various gods, which those folks bought, bought with them. And it's in this soil that the gospel takes root. You see, some of the earlier Jesus followers inevitably ended up in Antioch. Some would have been fleeing persecution in, in Jerusalem and elsewhere as asylum seekers, if you like, in search of somewhere safe to call home. Others were, I guess we call them today, economic migrants, taking advantage of the business and economic opportunities that Antioch offered. And of course, while they were there, they began to share their faith. And many Gentiles came to faith and began to follow Jesus. Now, you might have thought that this would be a source of delight to the early Christian community. 
but that would be to ignore the problem of walls. As it turns out that human beings are territorial creatures. We are wall builders. Sometimes the walls are literal like the Berlin Wall, or going back further in history, Hadrian's Wall, built to keep out those pesky tribes from, from up north. These days, of course, we find other ways to stop those who, don't want, to who want to come into Britain. But it seems that human beings are by nature wall builders. Walls built to keep out those who are not like us, who are not part of our tribe. Walls to protect our way of life. Even within the church, we have a long history of putting up walls between ourselves and other Christians who, for whatever reason, are not like us, who think and believe slightly different things or have different ways of expressing their faith. And so the walls go up. And of course, there are the walls we build in our own hearts. Walls built of a fear of prejudice, of ignorance, of self-esteem, of, of hurt, of, of pain. And in Paul's world, the, the one wall that really mattered was the one between the Jew and the Gentile. Gentiles are those who, were, who weren't Jews. So between the Jews and those who were not Jews, the other, if you like. And the walls have been going up for centuries. And from a Jewish perspective, that was the most important distinction. And the question that the Jews debated was not so much whether the wall should exist, but how high it should be. And the Jews would debate amongst themselves about how much interaction they were allowed with those outside their own community. And different people inevitably drew the lines in different ways. So business, business dealings were generally considered okay, but business partnerships weren't. Friendship was fine, but, but intermarriage was a, was a no-no. For the faithful Jew, ensuring that the wall stood firm was all about remaining faithful to God. That was how they stayed faithful, by remaining pure, by, by putting up these walls to keep others out maybe to keep themselves in. And even the walls of the temple had a symbolic meaning, if you like, speaking of exclusion. At the heart was the Holy of Holies. Only the priests could go in there. Outside was the court of men, Jewish men, of course. No women allowed. And beyond this was the court of women. And finally, furthest from the presence of God, God was, was thought, was believed to be physically present in the Holy of Holies. Furthest from the presence of God was the court of the Gentiles. In, in 1871, archaeologists digging around the temple site in Jerusalem uncovered a stone which, which said this, no man of another race is to proceed within this partition and enclosing wall of the sanctuary. Anyone arrested there will have to, himself to blame for the penalty of death which will be imposed as a consequence. Do not enter. Do not come close. And remember that those who grew up, those who belonged to the church in Jerusalem, saw themselves as faithful Jews. Just like Paul, they hadn't switched from Judaism to Christianity or renounced their Jewish identity, but rather they understood Jesus 
to be the fulfillment of that identity. And they had grown up in this context where they'd been taught to regard Gentiles and foreigners with suspicion, if not with outright contempt. So when news of all these non-Jewish converts reached Jerusalem, you, you can kind of imagine the consternation that it caused. What, what on earth is going on? Is this, is this real? What do we do? How do we make sense of, of all of this? So they sent Barnabas to, to go and, and check out what was, what was going on and to discern whether this was, was of God. And what Barnabas sees in Antioch causes his heart to soar. Acts puts it like this. He saw the grace of God. Which is an interesting thing to say, isn't it? I wonder what the grace of God looks like. How do you know when you are seeing the, the grace of God? It's interesting, isn't it? The grace of God here is not an idea or a theory, or a set of propositions, but something that is enacted. Something that, if you like, changes things. Or rather, something that transforms and, and changes people. What did Barnabas saw? see? I think he saw lives being transformed as folks gave their trust and allegiance to the God revealed in Jesus. But more than that, he saw a transformed community. He saw the walls that divided people being demolished by the Spirit of God as Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female were being gathered into a new community of those who follow Jesus. He saw a glimpse of what John later described in that Revelation passage. A multinational, multicultural community of those who loved Jesus, where each one had a place. But Barnabas saw more as well. He, he saw this fledgling community, this community that God's spirit had, been, had brought together, needed help to make sense of their experience, help to understand what, what God was doing, and help to live in the light of all of that which is where Paul comes in. Paul, you'll remember from last week, uh, and if you missed last week, do, do catch up. Uh, you'll remember that Paul spent the last 10 years in, in Tarsus, the silent years, uh, we've called them. 10 years learning and reflecting and, and growing and struggling to make sense of what, what God is doing. And then Barnabas arrives. And it's a visit that would take Paul's life in a whole new direction. And his first task is to go to Antioch and help teach and pastor that congregation there as they work through what it means to be a church in which both Jew and Gentile belong and all are equal before God. In fact, a big chunk of Paul's ministry was, was spent doing that, helping the church understand, work through what it means for Jews and Gentiles to belong together as God's, as God's family. 
And then right at the end of the story, we, we get that little thing where Agapus appears on the scene and warns that there's going to be severe famine. Uh, and I guess at that point, the, the church could have hunkered down, stocked up, bit of stockpiling there, got ready to, to weather the storm on their own. But instead, they decide to send that gift to their Jewish brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, Gentile believers, reaching out to that Jewish community, in a sense, that was suspicious of them even, with love, with grace, with generosity. It would seem like the transformation wrought by God is not just transform lives or transform community, but rooted in a transformed heart with, with open hearts. Hearts open to others. You often, you often hear the sailing, don't you? Charity begins at home. And especially in difficult times, our, our horizons tend to shrink and we retreat. But maybe this little vignette of, of church life reminds us that charity begins wherever there is need. Wherever people are bruised or battered, that's where, where charity begins. And the Spirit of God, the Spirit that transforms our hearts, relentlessly pushes us outwards rather than causing us to, to retreat inwards. And of course, Barnabas and Saul are the one who would take the gift. Notice it says Saul, not Paul. I didn't notice that until Josh pointed it out to me in the week. Uh, thanks, thanks, Josh. Uh, I've always carried my, this script around in my head that, that when Saul became a Christian, he changed his name. He suddenly became Paul. Uh, but if you read the story in Acts, it doesn't start to use the name Paul until his first mis missionary journey, which is sometime further down the line. It reminded me of when I'm taking a funeral. Uh, often one of the questions I ask is what, na what name the family would like me to refer to use for the deceased. Because many of us have more than one name. I remember one family who told me that their dad had four names. Uh, there was the name his family knew him by. There was the name he used at work. Uh, there was the name his mates down the pub used. It wasn't quite so complimentary. Uh, the name he used at the bowls club. So in my address, I, I swapped between all four names depending on which part of his life I was talking about, just hoping I got the right name. Uh, well, Saul is a Jewish name, and Paul is a Roman name. And according to the context, he seems to have used either name as best, as best fit. And I guess those names point to, point to that challenge that, that Paul, that the church was, was living within. For Paul, Saul, it was about how to remain a faithful, loyal Jew, whilst also being a Roman citizen and a missionary to the, the nations. For the early church, the challenge was how to live in continuity with the story of Israel, with their story, with their heritage, with their background, whilst embracing the new thing that God was doing, namely including all nations, all peoples, with his plan, his purpose. And we see that played out in multiple ways as we read through Acts, as we read through Paul's letters, that, that struggle to bring 
these things together. One of the things that Paul learned during his silent years was that God is not as keen on walls as we are. He is not as keen on the labels that we use to signify us and them. In fact, he delights in tearing down the walls that we build. And to put our nation, our tribe, our, our group, whatever, on a pedestal, thinking that we're somehow better than them, whoever the them might be. When we do that, we actually resist the grace of God. Reflecting on that, I firmly believe that one of the greatest things the church can offer the world is itself. A community where the grace of God is seen, is seen in transformed lives, is seen in the way that all are welcomed. Wanderers, misfits, spiritual refugees, where skin color or gender or background or marital status or nationality and no barrier, either to participation or to service. One of the greatest gifts that we can give the world is our commitment to each other in Jesus. Our commitment to care for each other despite our differences, our different backgrounds, our different theological positions, our different views on all manner of things to simply care for each other. And maybe one of the greatest gifts we can give the world is to learn to appreciate our diversity, to listen and learn from each other, for men to learn from women, for the more mature of us, no, I'm not mature, but the more mature of us to learn from, from our kids and vice versa, for those who are married to learn from the singles among us. For us all to hear from the wanderers and the misfits and the spiritual refugees. One of the greatest gifts that we can give the world is to allow the Spirit of God to open our hearts and our minds and our lives to the other, whoever that might be. To commit to seeing each person as a beloved child of God with their own story which bears hearing and which bears embracing. And in these days, that is hard. It's hard when we can't physically meet together. When we feel often so separate, it's just great seeing some faces on the screen. Thanks, guys. Great seeing Connie. Uh, one of the things I've really missed is that, is that watching, watching some of those children that have been born during lockdown, watching them begin to grow up, I've missed that so much. We, we, it's difficult in these days when we, are, when we are separated. It's hard in a world which so often seems to fear diversity and in which we seem to be busy building walls which separate us and divide us. This month is, is Black History Month. Uh, and as I continue to reflect on the, on the Black Lives Matter, I'm reminded and challenged again and again just to listen, to listen to the stories uh, of those who are black, of those who've experienced exclusion. Uh, and for me, the way I can do that at the moment is by reading. 
Uh, I've mentioned this book to you before, but, but can I re-recommend it? Uh, ben Lindsay's We Need to Talk About Race, Understanding the Black Experience in White Majority Churches. Just to, to listen to others, to listen to each other. And maybe this time when our, when our social contact is, is limited, maybe this, time we can, this is the time where we can cooperate with the transfor transformational work of the Spirit by doing, doing some work on our own attitudes, to ask God to show us the prejudice in our own lives. And it will be there. It is in mine. It will be there. To be aware and to refuse to buy into those secular narratives, those narratives out there that seek to divide us, to separate us, to build walls. Maybe now's the time to listen to the stories of those who come from a different culture, to recognize God's face in the one we might regard as the other. Maybe in our own minds we can start to knock down some walls instead of rebuilding them. So maybe now is the time to prepare ourselves for that new heaven, that new earth that we glimpse in Revelation 7. And after this, I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands, they cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and heal our divided and broken world. Break down the walls that separate us from, from each other. Break down the walls that dwell in our own hearts. Lord Jesus, may the grace of God be seen in our own lives. Lord Jesus, bring heaven to earth, we pray. Amen.